Craft Beer Radio, episode 396, on September 24th, 2016. And welcome to Craft Beer Radio, episode 396. This is from the album Nevermind, which was released 25 years ago today. A uh, defining album yes. in our lives, like the, the music genre of our lives, I think. I mean, even if you weren't a huge Nirvana yeah, fan, Yeah, I mean, it, it in changed. terms of changing the music culture at the time, it was very huge. Yeah. Some people could say it may not have been... Musically, uh, musically, it was very important in terms of popular music culture. Right. Um, so that, but that would have been a Tuesday because that's when albums are released. <laughs> this is a Saturday. <laughs> what are we drinking first? Let's do this Summit first. Summit sent us uh, one of their 30th anniversary beers. Uh, I think they're doing four, right? And this is the third uh, West London style ale. So this is let's see uh, oh it looks like to be an ESB because they're talking about uh, Maris Otter and yeah, down here at the bottom it says traditional premium bitter yeah okay 4.9% ABV and I was uh, out with Nick on Thursday um, Best by December thirtieth. Went uh, went drinking because uh, he wanted me to explain to him uh, some some concepts of relativity, special relativity. Let's go get a beer. I want to. <laughs> that, that that was you should see the yeah the text message was like nice. I, I just saw something about relativity. Can you explain it to me? I was like yeah absolutely. When do you want to do it? Um, so that we drank. I, I made him. I made him. I I, uh, I told him to. Him. I encourage him to drink uh, Fuller's ESB. Okay, I never had it before, and uh, very very good, but very, a lot more malty than traditional for most ESBs you're going to find. Uh, at least the one that we had there was okay. considerably more malty. Uh, so, like, I don't expect this to be nearly as malty as that. It's it's not really what I have come to expect out of ESBs, but I do love Fuller's. Right. Yeah, I mean, so there's bitters, best bitters, mm-hmm. uh, extra special bitters, and then this is premium bitter. I'm going to do a quick Google search to see where that one fits up, because that's not a, a name that you hear right. very often in the family tree of bitters. Uh, here's the information. Okay, so this just uses Maris Otter uh, for the hops uh, Endeavor, Cascade, and Motueka. Interesting. So UK, Endeavor, US, Cascade, New Zealand, Motueka. 40 IBUs, 4.6% alcohol, as you said. A multi-yeast strain comprised of private collection UK ale strains formerly utilized by an old British brewery. Hmm. Okay. There's a, there's a pedigree on this one. So the color is a... It's a, it's a strawish golden. Yeah, very clear. It's a lot like... Like you're talking about your idea when you're drinking a bitter, like a Fuller's or something like that. It's more malty, more copper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one's very golden. So first thing off, this looks a lot lighter than what I tend to think of a bitter is. Yeah. But I do acknowledge that since never, never really going to England and drinking a ton of bitters. Right. You know, I'm probably not well versed in the width and breadth of 
Yeah, from, from what I've figures. seen, from you know, if I take Fuller's as the archetypal ESB, then nothing <clears> has come close. But if I take Fuller's as a, as a as a brand of ESB that is not archetypal, and I, t- and I take mm-hmm. the other ESBs I've had, this appears to be closer okay. uh, in in aroma and uh, and look to those ESBs. Yeah. So the aroma aroma is. Um, the maltiness is, is kind of what I'm noticing at first. I'm getting a little bit of hoppiness, hop aroma later, but for that maltiness, it's all Marisotter, like Greg said. And what that's doing to the aroma is it's not quite as bread crusty as you might expect. It's certainly not caramelly. It is... This one's coming across... A, like There's like a tiny bit of Pilsner in there. There's a touch of spice, I think, which maybe is part of the hop contribution. Yeah, it's, it's a little floral. It's a little... Oh, Firefox wants me to to apply. <laughs> don't don't mute me. That, that okay. shouldn't happen very often. But that was Firefox telling me that, to apply an update. Thank you, Firefox. It might be a critical update. You might be getting hacksawed right now. Well, if that's the case, that sucks. But I'm not going to move to any other website. So, <laughs> yeah, a little floral thing in there mm-hmm. too, and I'm going to move on to the flavor. Good use of the Maris Otter malt to give a nice kind of English, a toasted English muffin okay, uh, yeah. thing going on. Um, the the hops are uh, a little. There, it's expressing the bitter a lot. It, it's mm-hmm. it's more bitter than than I've come to expect out of these bitter, uh, <laughs> the so called. Well, not bitters. just not just the bitterness. It's it's hoppier than what a lot of things mm. call themselves bitters, right? I was, it, yeah, but I mean. It's the bitterness that 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 continues. It's the right. it's a lingering bitterness that stays there. The hops. I mean, I'm getting something kind of citrusy, but that goes away, and I'm left with a a bitter, um, like a bitter marmalade or something. Right. The the kind of bitterness that lingers though, it, it kind of feels a little bit like session IPA type bitterness too. Okay. And maybe that's a connection that I never really drawn so clearly is that bitters to session IPAs kind of share. Of uh, uh, characteristic there. Uh, it, it's it's not the kind of like lay on your tongue bitterness that you get you see in some like uh, in, in some variations of stone mm-hmm. right. <laughs> beers or, or or arrogant bastard like beers, but it is keeping a. A strong bitterness, so it doesn't end dry. It ends with this, uh, this this consistent bitterness on your tongue. Uh, the one thing that I'm noticing about this beer is that it's kind of doing one thing and one thing pretty well, right? I mean, it's this. I don't think this is a beer we're going to really explore and pull tons of different things out. It's it's smacking you with that Marisotter malt, mm-hmm. a particular kind of hop flavor in the bitterness, and it feels like it has a very narrow spectrum. Yes. You know, and, and that kind of plays with how I think of bitters. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that the the best <clears throat> analogy, or the, I wouldn't say this is the best analogy I can make. The analogy that comes to mind immediately is if you have, let's say you have a um, a a pack of Starbursts, and let's say you only like one of those flavors, or, or you only... Or you really like one of those flavors as opposed to all the other ones. 
this would be like just one of those flavors as opposed to all the other ones. Right. And, and some people really like that one and some people hate it. So, or like Jolly Ranchers. Like I hate the green Jolly Ranchers. Some people love those more than anything else. Uh, I've had them a lot because they're too sweet for me nowadays. But uh, I, I think that that is what this kind of beer is trying to get to. If you like bitters a lot, uh, this is going to be right in your wheelhouse. This is mm-hmm. this is going to to hit all those nerves, and it's going to be a real drinker and go for it. If you're not super into the whole thing, then I can see how you'd be less than uh, thrilled with it. But uh, it, it's going for that one thing, and, and I think it's sticking on that plan. Yeah, I agree with you. The um, yeah, someone's celebrating their 30th anniversary, and this is the third. We've had a couple of the anniversaries on the show. I'm not sure we had. Yeah, we had the other two. The other two, have we? Yeah, I okay. believe so. They're in St. Paul, Minnesota. There we have the Keller Pills. We definitely had that one. Um, and uh, did we have... I don't know. Did, they say they have a double IPA. I don't think we had that one. No, hop, no it wasn't the Hop Silo. That was a couple years no, ago. That's the 30th anniversary double IPA. Yeah. Not sure. I am, um, I'm not against bitters. In fact, I think they're fine. I probably would have liked this, I would like this more three beers in the night than, than starting off. Uh, right. I, I feel like it's a little simple, it's a little, uh, a little one-sided, uh, and it's not something that I would uh, jump at. Right. Like, mm, oh, I got to try that. I, I, I do tend to try ESBs when I see them because I'm always right. looking for interesting one. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that this will hit some people directly where they want to be hit. But for most people, it's just going to be, okay, let's move on to the next one. I think that's going to be basically the perception. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, when I'm drinking this, I'm kind of put in the place, like I'm at the brewery tap room mm-hmm. and just like trying their wares. I'm like, I'd be like, oh, that's a good bitter. And then when I think of myself in a different scenario, like at a bar and it's on tap, yeah, it's like, I'm not sure I would have the same lens yeah. when ordering. Yeah. As a as something that they're putting out just to have, you know, to do it, you know, 30th anniversary, let's do it. I, mean, I, I totally think that's a that's a cool idea. That's, that's the kind of thing you should do. Um, that's the fun thing that, um, it's one of the reasons why we like this industry. Let's try this flounder brewing. All right, so Sam Adams has a collaboration with a, a small brewery from New Jersey. Uh, they, I guess it, it, was a, it was a contest of sorts, right? No, they didn't do it the last couple of years. It's the, um, what's it called, like the American... But it's, I mean, it's it's sort of a contest or, it's or a, a scholarship it's type thing. I mean, Kind of like a scholarship yeah. or a brewery incubator type thing yeah. where they, breweries enter and the winners announced along with the long shot homebrew competition winners. And a small brewery gets to kind of learn how to run a brewery from Boston Beer. And so they sent us this uh, Devil's Nectar. Sam Adams did. It is a cranberry honey Hellas lager. Okay. 5.2% alcohol volume. Made with Jersey fresh honey. That's a... Registered trademark on that, oh. Jersey Fresh. Um, and Massachusetts Cranberries. We met these guys when we were out there. I talked to them briefly. Um, 
they've probably been doing this for about four or five years now, this um, brewery, you know, um, training, you know, incubator type thing. So it is hazy amber gold mm -hmm. with not much of a head. The the cram or the yeah cranberries the honey are both apparent in the aroma. You get something fruity, which you know kind of reminds me of you know other cranberry beers that I've had. I guess the name comes from of the nectar because it's Boston slash Jersey accent for nectar. Nectar, of course, what the bees eat to make honey. And Devils, because it's a Hellas, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. Or the cranberry, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, the, the fruit, the cranberry, and the, the honey, they dominate the aroma. I'm not really getting any kind of real malt aromas that are standing out in the forefront. Well, that's that's kind of what I expected. I mean, it's it's kind of like their cranberry Christmas whatever, and it just kind of feels muddled together. Yeah. Like, just yeah, we'll throw cranberries and honey in there, and we'll put it into a hellas, and we'll yeah. I mean, the Hellas is not really bringing anything to the party, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what's a neutral base to put some cranberries and honey in is kind of the feel from what I'm tasting. The Hellas tends to be a little bit sweeter than other lagers, so so this could yeah. um, maybe work some of that in. But the honey is going to add some sweetness, too. And, and a little, maybe the Hellas is there to add a little body that the honey might take away because of effectively the same thing as uh, as Belgian candy sugar. Yeah. The thing is, the honey, I'm thinking like the honey comes across in like, how do I want to describe this? It's not in a nuanced floral, like out in the, out in the pasture, mm -hmm. you know, fresh nectar type way. It's more in the commercial vat of honey thrown into a beer type way. Is how it comes across, right? There's like no volatiles. It, it's not, it's providing kind of a, a dab of honey sweetness, but none of the yeah. none of the clover or orange yeah, yeah. blossoms. I was or... thinking that yeah, sometimes we we can try it or we try to pick out like this could be this type of honey. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe buckwheat. It, it's it's really hard to get. I wouldn't. I mean, it just is like generic blended honey, right? And it it, it feels like any. Any well, um, it, it is honey from Jersey. Well, any any volatiles like you know we've had some really interesting flavors coming from honey and beer. Yeah, lately, and this feels like fifteen years ago use of honey. Yeah, I agree. It 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 feels it feels incomplete. It feels like like somebody was was cramming for a test, and and this is what they came up with, and it's like. Yeah, you need you need to, to put another. Uh, yeah, that's your first draft. Don't bottle yeah. that one. Mm -hmm. 
make a better honey beer. I I guess it would be interesting to see what Aaron would think of this. Because um, it's got some fruity dimension to it. But I don't know whether that would that's enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, even for her. Because, I mean, she was interested in, in some of the more interesting, more striking things that were coming. Right. Not necessarily just, just a muddled flavor. So I feel like yeah, this is way too muddled for, for me to really... Uh, and the cra- there's nothing wrong with it. It's just... Oh, it- Nothing wrong with it other than... Yeah. Other than just not being very good. Yeah, I mean, the, the cranberries are kind of meh. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what, what other stuff uh, Flounder does. Yeah, I mean, don't expect to see them grow too fastly. I mean, I remember Ricoli won, won the last time we were out there. And we had a Ricoli beer sent to us and... But they were like, I know I don't know how big flounder is or how you know small flounder is. Ricoli was like itsy bitsy. They were like a five gallon nano brewery. When they oh were. wow, really? <laughs> Maybe a fifteen gallon nano brewery, but they were super tiny. Yeah, there's not much here. Well, see, flounder. Uh, sought out a six thousand dollar loan from the brewing the American Dream. Decided to purchase a small system and move from a garage to a nano brewery of their own, and so yeah, still, still small. Yeah, I mean these are practically home brewers that are yeah. six thousand dollars. Speaking of money and beer, money and beer. There's no money in beer. <laughs> there is this um, article that was on uh, craftbeer.com, which was. Reprinted from uh, Modern Times Brewery, which we've had some Modern Times in San Diego, uh, which was a response to an article on SeriousEats.com, which was a defense. The Serious Eats article was a defense of brewers selling out. Right. Uh, And the article that was uh, repeated by the Brewers Association and was on Modern Times was the owner of Modern Times uh, commenting on how he felt that... uh, the article was was poorly was poorly done, or he at least disagreed with the okay. article. Um, let's see. How can I put this? I didn't like. Uh, I I definitely didn't like the Modern Times article. I, I felt it was kind of poorly written and making the wrong points. But I also disagree with the premise. Uh, I I agree with the premise of the Serious Eats article, uh, but it was kind of. The listical article, in a sense, it was you know it wasn't wasn't hard hitting journalism. Sure, uh, but it's interesting to look at, at at what some of the complaints are. We've talked about the selling out thing uh, plenty, but I think it's it's useful to continue talking about it because it's 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 an aspect of of the brewing industry right now, and if nothing else, this podcast may serve as a record of this sort of time. Uh, what we're going through, which is a very interesting time in, in the craft brewing industry. Um, so part of these things where there were claims, and uh, it's his name here, Jacob, Jacob McKean is is making counterclaims. One of the claims is um, moving production from, of core brands from acquired breweries to uh, ABIs. Uh, this is it's mostly about yeah. Anheuser-Busch. Right. Uh, plants improves their quality. 
Uh, Goldfarb says ABS plants are being retrofitted specifically to handle craft beer in ways that the craft breweries themselves simply couldn't afford back when they were independent operations. It has added a super sack system, hop backs, conical, conical tanks, and more cellaring space. Uh, other items cited are a mash filter centrifuge and tasting room. And, and the problem that that, uh, uh, that Jacob has is that most of these things are stuff that breweries already have. Mm-hmm. Uh, conical tanks and stuff like that. Uh, and that there's um, there's nothing that is necessarily unaffordable to a craft brewer. That seems to be a, a not quite def- that like not a very good defense. The the point is AB is giving them capital to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. It's not that uh, ABI ABI has experience with these equipment. Certainly, they can help them install the equipment and stuff like that. Right. If, if they go on that level, uh, but it's really about giving these breweries capital to make money because when they make money Anheuser Bush makes money. Right. Uh number two, uh ABI is investing in these breweries themselves with the goal of improving quality is the claim, which they couldn't have done on their own. Goldfarb writes it gave ten barrel uh ten million dollars to buy six new four hundred barrel tanks, for instance, and it's helping Blue Point open a forty thousand square foot uh, facility, et cetera, et cetera. Um here's his problem. Uh, anyone who has ever worked on the business side of brewing would immediately see the problem with the first part of this claim. 400-barrel tanks cost around $100,000 each, so six of them won't add up to $10 million. That's a very poor argument on Jacob's part, if you ask me. Yes, if you just sourced the tanks themselves, 400-barrel, six 400-barrel tanks, maybe you could... Find a source that you could get them for just $600,000 as opposed to $10 million. But that's just the tanks. Then you got to ship them. You got to install them. You got to have the new space to put them in. You got to deal with uh, doing all the stuff to, to get them into your system. You got to do all the equipment you need with them, all the new people to, uh, to, to work them, all the new ingredients you have. And this is, mm. keep in mind, when it's six, uh, 400 times six, and there's 400 barrels uh, so you're talking about 2,400 barrels. You're talking about at least 700,000 bottles of beer, roughly. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of beer. Uh, and yet 10 million sounds about right. Even it for to install $400,000 pieces of equipment. Let's say you were at work and you were being given a $100,000 piece of equipment to install. It wouldn't just cost $100,000. I don't, I don't know if that's an app comparison. It's not necessarily an app comparison, but you understand. Uh, sure, no, I understand that installing tanks, you I mean, you got to pour concrete to set the tank on, you have to put the tank in. Mm-hmm. Usually that means tearing the roof off, that means renting a crane, then you got to plumb the thing. So whether it's, you know, the, the 12X that, you know, is the discrepancy between, you know, Jacob's ar- argument there. I don't know. I mean, 12x seems high, right? It seems like a, it's a stretch for to get to 12x times. What, 12 times mean? the cost of the material. Well, I mean... The, the, 600,000 versus 10 million. The problem is the sentence he had was it gave 10 barrel... The problem they had was sentence it gave 10 barrel $10 million to buy six new 400 barrel tanks. Now... You could interpret that as that was they were just given ten million dollars to buy four hundred barrel tanks, or you could interpret that as 
they were given a cash infusion that they used. You know, part of the part of the reason that they used the cash infusion was they they wanted to True. buy these new tanks stuff like that. I think that see, Jacob's problem here is is taking this you know one line in the article and extrapolating out from that that it's just a material cost they were given the money for, and that's not. I I think that that's that's taking things way too literally. It's an example of the stuff in this article mm-hmm. that. The reason why I feel like Jacob's making a bad point here, or, or J- Jacob is is not on the right, or not understanding the problem, and I think it and it it ends up sounding, for whatever good arguments there are, uh, against the you know, and there are good arguments against you know having Anheuser Bush involved in, in craft brew. I think that this article comes out like sour grapes. Okay. Now you've read the article. What do you think? Uh yeah, I guess you're right. It's I don't know. I, 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 I'm not really ready to talk about it. Okay. Um, I mean, we've talked about this a, a bit before, right? And, and you know, it, it's hard to figure out what side you're on. You know, part of me is about is it good beer. Part of me is, you know, support local or small. You know. Where the the dollar seems to you know do more for the people involved type thing. Um, but we just had somebody on who whether he was you know, you know whether Shane was messing with us or not he didn't he didn't see and he is, has a better view than than he than we do mm-hmm. of the the business side he didn't see much in the way of interference. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's a good point because you know one of the things that the Brewers Association often tells us one of their main things is access to markets, access to ingredients, access to shelf space. Uh, markets and shelf space might mean might be the same thing. Um, and they're concerned that as AB grows, as AB gets more desire for craft ingredients, craft shelf space, craft stuff like that, it's going to be harder for the smaller places without the buying power to get it. Knowing AB, the, as we do, they just make their own hop yards and <laughs> I mean if they need to get ingredients well, that was AB just, right now yeah. InBev doesn't like owning horses and hop yards in Idaho and things like that they don't have they given up on that oh, I'm not saying they've divested that hop yard yet I'm saying from just the general way that the Belgians run the business they're not about having you know well it's not it's that. no longer just a Belgian business yeah. so I, I don't know it, it's I think we have to be in a wait and see area, and I understand the trepidation, but I also understand that look, this is there's major money being thrown around here, and that means big people are going to get involved, and you want that in a sense because you want there to be investment, and you want this to continue to grow, so you want big money there. You just want the big money to play by the same rules, and as long as they continue to play by the same rules, then there isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. Once you can show that they are. Then absolutely, there's a problem. But so far, I haven't seen any evidence that they aren't playing by the same rules. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not prepared to argue, you know, have a an argue strong argument on this. Either. I mean, I'm not that we're arguing against each other, but I'm just not prepared to have an argument in you know, all right, on the issue. Oh, I wouldn't say it's an argument, but uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm expressing my point. Whether right, you know, right, I would have to, I need more. I need to do more research, come up with, uh, figure out what I want to say, and then. Okay, well, let's move on. Should we try yes. this uh, this East End? Um, 
Yeah, we can go there if you want. So this is, I got this Crowler filled at the brewery the other day. This is Barrel Aged Nunkin. So what this is, uh, Easton has never made a pumpkin beer, but they have made a pumpkin surrogate, which is a beer spiced like a pumpkin beer, but never in, no pumpkins were harmed in the making of this beer. Yes, it is an herb spice beer, which is what pumpkin ales are. Now, uh, so some of them remember how pumpkin beers them. like you know didn't quite live up to expectations last year. Yeah. Well, what East End did was they took all their extra Nunkin and threw it in bourbon barrels. All right. Last year. They didn't brew any Nunkin this year. The only Nunkin they're selling is the stuff they took out the bourbon barrels. Well, at least they didn't brew any Nunkin. So we're going to be trying some barrel-aged Nunkin here. 5.2%. Didn't have anything on their website, but Beer Advocate has this. It's 5.2% and... A lot of spices on the beer. So, uh, dark amber. Good amount of head on this. This is poured from a big can, so yep. quart size can. Yep. Lots of spicy. Vanilla. Spicy notes. Cinnamon. So, some nutmeg in there. Doesn't really come across like pie. Comes across more holidays more christmas holidays for me for some reason um trying to figure out why starting to differentiate the indian roads are getting a lot of nutmeg a lot of nutmeg mm -hmm. that's what it's you know what because i think because of the barrel aging i think it's kind of coming across a little bit like eggnog for me like mm. egg you know the nutmeg that's in the, you know eggnog bourbon yeah because i usually bourbon spiked by eggnog So on the flavor, the the wood really brings a lot of flavor to it. Um, getting a ton of vanilla type flavors in there. It's not too boozy. But I'm getting a, a rich kind of toffee and a fair amount of spices, but I don't think they're as sharp as they are on the nose. So the wood changes the complexion such that it tastes more like a dark spice rum candy. Than right. uh, mm -hmm. than an herb, than a traditional sort of pumpkin beer that you're, that yeah. you're used to, um, but it still has that a lot of spice, a lot of um, a lot of sweetness, and sort of holiday -esque, holiday esque flavors going mm -hmm. on with it. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on there, right? I, I think actually I like this how this comes together. You know, I mean, this is a pumpkin beer that I could probably oh Greg's cough button. <laughs> The Nunkin went down the wrong uh, pipe. Mm. I, I, I like how this isn't that run-of-the-mill, played-out pumpkin beer flavor that I never even cared for before it was played out. I, I think that the wood really brings a different characteristic. And, yeah, I think, you know, I think calling it, like, more of a holidays nutmeg-type, um, like, uh, eggnog-type thing. And I know you haven't had much experience with eggnog. but I haven't grown up with it. Yeah. Um... It, it, yeah, I I would say from from what I've had of eggnog, uh, you know, or or wassail or something like that, it's mm -hmm. along it's more along those yeah. lines. But it's, I, I wouldn't say it's it, it's categorically different. Like I said, the complexion is slightly different, but it's still it's still an herb spice beer that still has those. I mean, maybe it more it comes closer to a 
to a Christmas beer now than right. it does a, a pumpkin beer. But those are still not my favorite style of beer either. True. Yeah, as I'm drinking it, the um, I'm getting more of the nutmeg, maybe some anise or something like that, and kind of the wood flavors kind of getting um, covered up a little bit. So I, I actually, I think I enjoy the first couple of sips better than what I'm working on right now. <clears throat> and a whole quart of this. <laughs> I tasted it at the brewery. I'm like, you know, and I had a small sample. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's pretty good. I need to, I want Greg to try this. So that's why I brought the crawler home. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's good to try. I'm never against trying something. Uh, Jeff but did I do, say... I do think bourbon barrel, bourbon barrel aging pumpkin spice beers <laughs> improves them. I think that this is overall more drinkable, more enjoyable than almost any pumpkin beer I can think of. I'm not saying this is the most amazing thing I've ever had, but I mean, well, if you're I... if you're playing with the handicap of of nutmeg and you know pumpkin, putting it in a barrel is a good way to go. I don't know. To me, it, it just just moving it slightly onto another category they don't particularly like. It's not like it doesn't. It's not okay. like it changes it into an awesome beer. It just turns sure. it into a, 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 another style that I dislike, um, or that I generally dislike. I I don't know. No, I I okay. would I would appreciate. I mean, we've always said, "Hey, pumpkin beers, give me some pumpkin," and occasionally we've had that. Yeah, and and only occasionally has it ever worked. But no, I I do think there are pumpkin beers better than this. All right. Okay. So, will the disappointment continue? <laughs> <laughs> better it better not. Going to go for something hoppy? Yeah, let's do something All hoppy. Right. So, Shane brought this from Knee Deep Brewing, one of the uh one of the brewers that he is distributing. Breaking Bud India Pale Ale. They have a Walter White surrogate who uh, is green on the cover, and he has he has barrels that are labeled hops and a van in the background. Uh, Fifty IBUs, six point seven alcohol by volume. Uh, Simcoe and CTZ and uh, Mosaic. So we're kind of in 2.5 This one is territory. dated August 31st, so pretty new. Pretty new. Pretty new. That's hoppy. Uh, the malt bill is a pinch of crystal malt and a hefty dose of flaked wheat. Okay. It's really clear for having wheat, flaked wheat in it. The aroma is big hops, and oh, the hops that I'm smelling in there... Very beautifully clear. Yeah, for having that much weed. Yeah. Uh, Simcoe, CTZ. Uh, so Simcoe, you know, can kind of have that kind of more dank, sulfury, mm -hmm. or oniony type character. Um, CTZ stands for... Um, Tomahawk Zeus was the first one. Uh, yeah, Columbus. well, Columbus. Yeah, yeah, Columbus, Tomahawk, and Zeus. <clears throat> Some of those are like were trademarked names, so they kind of just threw CTZ together. 
Um, and those ones are typically, you know, they're pretty, pretty aggressive hops, you know. Again, citrusy, I guess mm-hmm. is a good way to describe it. And this one kind of has a big tangerine or tangerine peel to it. It also has mosaic in there. So one of our okay. favorites. And kind of the hop of the moment. Although I, st- I still think Galaxy is one that uh, should get more props than it does. But mosaic, I understand. It might be an acreage thing. People might be planting tons of Galaxy, and maybe in a couple of years you'll have it all over everywhere. <laughs> I would just think, is it weird to call uh, uh, an IPA with this much hopping in it subtle? I don't. Th- I think I. I think you're with it, right? Because I had to take a second sip because it wasn't this hoppy mm-hmm. as. I thought it was going to be from the nose, and it is a hoppy beer. This yeah, isn't yeah. this isn't like a non hoppy beer, but with that first sip, it was like, hold on a second, that's more dialed down than <laughs> yeah, I had expected. Yeah. I I kind of had I turned down the volume on my taste mm-hmm. buds so they wouldn't get buzzed out, and then like, oh, I got to turn up the volume so I can. Get yeah, back it, in there. It, it, you have to tune into it. I think a little bit. So let's get another sip here. I think tangerines or clementines is is a big component of this flavor, right? You get in this really sweet um, orange has a kind of a candied type bit to it. Um, so a touch of marmalade in there as well. I'm very much agreeing with you. I don't disagree with you at mm-hmm. all. Very, very much on the tangerine side. Lacking. A lot of the pithy notes doesn't really have a lot of the Simcoe Doherty stuff. Uh, that's sort of just there giving a, a, a slight kind of bitterness. And What's funny is now that I'm like three sips in, four sips in, it it, it doesn't feel restrained. It doesn't feel subtle, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's coming on full strength. Maybe our tongues were burned out from the nutmeg or something. and we could, That's why we didn't get it from the first sip. That's, there you go. That's possible. Yeah. Because now, yeah, now it's coming. It's starting to come too. This stuff it's is coming, like, coming in waves. The nutmeg is washed off. <laughs> well, maybe it's like maybe nutmeg works like miracle fruit, right? It, it's it right. changes the way your taste buds act for a little bit, right? Um, you know, looking for the malts, you know, there's just a nice, pleasant um, maltiness there. I think you know, knowing that there's the flake wheat, I think I can kind of feel it in the mouthfeel. I think it's a little more full, a little more creamy. Mm-hmm. Than you know, if this was just straight up barley, yeah, it's it's it's, it's nice and decent. It it's, it fits along the uh, two point five, you know, phase two, like midway between phase two and phase three. So it has a little bit of that of of some of that uh, tangerine and bitterness, but it's it's kind of getting to where you can see on the periphery. There's some pineapple or mango there's something in there where it's starting to pull in some of those flavors but doesn't really highlight those knee deep is in auburn california yeah i i I could drink a couple of these this is good that is pretty good yep you can't have any more until you finish that Nunkin. <laughs> no, the, Daddy, the, the, no. The, the crawler. 
You can have all of that. It's all yours. <laughs> all mine. Well, it is Saturday night. Mm. Fire up Skyrim and get crunk on Nunkin. <laughs> Let's do the other beer Shane brought here. All right. So the other beer is from Evil Twin. We've had Evil, Evil Twin before. Uh, this is Imperial. until now, though, smuggled from Philly. Yeah. Or uh, or Ohio. Yeah. Imperial Biscotti Break. This is an Imperial Stout, uh, which is uh, Imperial Evil Twin is a was a was a uh, um, gypsy brewer. Gypsy brewer. So this was brewed at Westbrook Brewing Company in in, uh, South Carolina. Eleven point five percent alcohol by volume. So on the can here it says Stratford, Connecticut. Is that where um, oh, two so, ro- okay. is that where Two Roads is? Or uh... I don't know. So as you might expect, this is a basically. It's not much on the website, but I think you can get from the idea of biscotti. Uh, yeah, yeah. Two, actually, Two Roads is yeah. in Stratford, so that's it, where they used to brew this. Imperial Stout brewed with coffee and with almond and vanilla added so they're going for uh a biscotti which um uh i recently learned that there is a uh there is a there isn't there is no consensus about whether biscottis are useful for anything or not (laughs) are are they nice little snacks or are they just hard pieces of shit that no one actually really likes (laughs) and i don't know the answer because I can occasionally fall on either side. <laughs> I think I generally fall on the nice little snack, but if I was forced to eat them every day, I think I'd flip the other yeah. way. So I'm ambivalent about the, the biscotti. <laughs> Let's see how the Imperial Biscotti break uh, takes us. Very dark, just black, uh, with red highlights. So on the nose, when I first smelled it, uh, I'm getting this like the spice that seemed was it. I couldn't tell if it was either cocoa powder or cinnamon or like cayenne pepper. You know, it was kind of like a kind of a menage of of the three different kind of spicy aromas. I think you mean uh. Melange. Melange, yes, yes. yes. Not, a, not Nicki Minaj. <laughs> or a menage a trois. <laughs> well, that's a big mix of yeah. humanity too, right? Yes, so. <laughs> I guess it is. <clears throat> As I smell a little bit more, oh, the almond is coming through, like that amaretto type smell. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That, that sweet uh, cherry like amaretto. Is like real, if you dig your no, if you put your nose deep in the glass and smell gently, you really get a big amaretto type. And no information about where the vanilla comes from or where the almond comes from because I'm curious about how you get almond flavor in here. There's a couple ways mm-hmm. you could use an extract, you could uh, use uh, fresh almonds, you could use uh, boiled almonds or you know right. slightly cooked almonds. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of ways you can get. You can use a paste of some sort. You could just make biscotti and throw it in the beer. That that's likely to make a kvass. 
Yeah, so I mean, it definitely is carrying those components, you know, those biscotti type components through. Um, I want to move on to the flavor here. Oh, this beer is pitch black, super thick. I'm going to need a, to, a second to calibrate my tongue to this. Anyway. Yeah, it so it's it's a sweet imperial stout. Mm-hmm. You know, so it has a fuller body to it. Um, the booziness isn't readily apparent. And actually, for my first sip, it's like, huh, that seems like it's too cold still. You know, so let's see how warm it actually is. It's probably pretty warm. So, yeah, I'm at 63 degrees. So I'll put it that at 58 50, yeah, around yeah. 58, but it still feels like it's it still feels cold. too cold to That's open interesting. up. Um, okay, it's it's very sweet, and that that's hitting me weird. So I'm just, I, I need more calibration. I need more, mm-hmm. yeah, I need more, more time to, to really get into this. Do you smell that thing that's kind of like cayenne on the nose or anything like that? Like, what is that? Or how would you peg that? I smell like at first when I when I take a, like a initial sniff, and then if I go in for a second sniff, I don't smell it anymore. I think it's just an alcohol thing. Okay. I mean, it is uh, ten point five or eleven. What was it? Um, eleven point five. I think it's some alcohol volatilization. Okay. So I wrapped my hands around the glass, got the heat up a little bit more, took that sip. It didn't feel too cold. What we're getting is, um, yeah, it's definitely Imperial Stealth type flavors. You're getting a little bit of booziness. You're getting a little, you know, so there's a touch of burn there. The The roast of the malt isn't ashy, but it's definitely like a deep cocoa, you know, and there's... Um, it does have kind of a milk stout type character to it. Yeah. It has a fuller mouthfeel than you get from, you know, many regular imperial stouts. It's a little bit creamier. Maybe the vanilla that's in there is helping change my impression. You know, I could see how, like, if you get a little bit of thickness in some vanilla, it kind of starts feeling like a milkshake or something like that. Much like with biscotti, I'm, I'm ambivalent. <laughs> I, I, I feel like... I see what they're going for, um, and I guess it, it it kind of matches sort of with a what a biscotti tastes like, kind of. Uh, but I don't know whether I want that in a beer. Yeah. And so the thing is, though, I'm, I'm kind of so I smelled that amaretto type aroma. Yeah, I'm not really tasting it. Yeah, and I'm kind of disappointed because I wanted to see how the almond flavors came through. But the, really... the coffee flavor is more dominant than, than the than the almond, although the almond is definitely and the vanilla is more dominant. But the almond is definitely there in sort of the background, but it's not it's not taking center stage. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it is it's uh, you know it's, it's leading a nice course. Oh, this has coffee there. in it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was trying to I was trying to factor out those coffee flavors mm. to other components. Now that I know there's coffee in it. Things are much more in focus. Okay. So the um that like the cayenne I was trying to figure out. It's from the coffee. Right? The bitterness but, from the coffee. Yeah, but you know, now that I have the right lens, it doesn't feel like cayenne pepper or cinnamon or um some kind of like spicy co- like um 
Mexican cocoa powder or something like that, but it feels like coffee, you know, and it was just one of those, like, almost like a blind tasting moment where I was just looking at it one way and it felt so true. And then once I got the information, it fits. There you go. <clears throat> we talked about information on the pre-show, so you can mm-hmm. listen to all that. Mm-hmm. You know what? And now that I look, now that I have the coffee lens, I think the beer tastes better overall. I'm enjoying it more. Well, now. yeah, getting the right lens and it helps. Getting it in the right perspective right. is 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 definitely helpful for for most beers. Not always. Sometimes mm-hmm. getting the right perspective can make and ruin something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can definitely help. We haven't done this in a while, so let's do this now. Okay, let's do that. Jeff. Where do you shop? Um, I shop on this little old website called Craft Beer Radio. Really? Have, I they, thought that was just a podcast. Well, you know what? They have this, this extra hidden link on the page. Craftbeerradio.com slash Amazon. Why do they hide it? Well, because it only exists because it's a podcast. And it's an easy way to tell people's ears how to get to the referral link. Okay, well, tell me about this link. Well, you go to craftbeerradio.com slash Amazon, or craftbeerradio.com slash A, if you don't feel like taping Amazon. Now you're confusing me. Right. No, craftbeerradio.com slash Amazon, and it takes you to this, like, amazing store that sells everything. What, really? Just at craftbeerradio.com slash Amazon? And if you have an Amazon Prime membership... Then the shipping's I free. Do. The shipping's free. 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 It doesn't cost you a penny more than if you used that other website. So this doesn't cost... But I usually go to Amazon.com. No, you should never go to Amazon.com. Every time you start your shopping session, you should go to craftbeerradio.com slash Amazon. And then shop, just like you would if you had gone to that well, other place. Well, the stuff's going to cost more because I went to this site. No, that's the crazy thing. They, what? It doesn't cost a penny more. It, it doesn't even cost you much more time. I you're, mean, you're blowing my mind. I know. It's this great referral thing that Amazon has for great podcasts like us. Wow. We get a percentage of all the purchases that you make through craftyradio.com slash Amazon. Well, sounds like I should be using that for now to shop. But it, it doesn't work for you, Greg, because your address is tainted and they know you're part of the podcast and they don't give you, don't give you uh, me the referrals for your purchases. Well, this is really... But for everyone else listening, your addresses are not tainted, and you can use craftyradio.com slash Amazon. And just don't ever buy something if you're logged in with my account from your address, or your address will get tainted too. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're, we took that in a weird direction. Yeah, so if I'm ever at your house shopping on Amazon... Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to the final beer of the night. We're ending with a Goza, which is interesting. Goza after a 11.5 Imperial Stout. Yeah, that might this, not this be is, our This is best well des- planned. <laughs> might not be our best decision of the night, but we'll see. Uh, Avery sent us the El Goza. So this is um, a lot of beers. That we Mostly beers that we were uh, given. Right? All beers that we were given. Oh, even the East End? Yes. Okay. Thank you to everybody who provided the beers uh, once again. Well, I had to earn the East End by providing technical support, but. 
Well, we, we provide... But I paid no cash for it. Well, I mean, we, we provide uh, critical support or critical evaluation for the other companies. So. Yes, I suppose so. All right, so El Goza is a German-style sour ale with lime and sea salt. 4.5% alcohol by volume. Uh, hopped with sterling, malted with two-row... Malted with, the malts that are used are two-row wheat and acidulated. 13 IBUs, 4.5% alcohol by volume. And it's going to... It's brewed year-round by Avery. Now, they have a, a sort of a Mexican Day of the Dead kind of thing going on with the skull in front and El Goze. Oh, you know what? I think it's El Goze. El Goze. Because on the bottom of the can it says, No Way Goze. No Way Goze. Oh, okay. But, but, they, but they do say that on, on their site that goes uh. Oh, so they do have right. a pronunciation for Goze. Well, then they, the, the guy who programmed the uh, date coder was having fun with his puns. Yeah. No way, Goze. All right. So here's some talking points. They give us talking points. Here. Talking points. What, what are we going to say about this beer, Greg? Uh, Adam Avery loves Pacifico with lime and wanted to make a beer with more body and es- more esters from ale fermentation. Adam Avery loves... Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, sour with 27.5 ounces of acidulated malt per barrel. Uh, brewed with 1.2 ounces sea salt, 5.5 ounces lime zest, 20.7 ounces lime juice per barrel. Um, it's a fusion of Mexican lager and German beer style in the label. Uh, pair your everyday six packs out with brat tacos or dulce de leche strudel. Okay. So it, definitely a German Mexican. Right. Thing going on. So, you know, remember the Mexican lager as well. It depends on what you're thinking of. But if you're thinking like, um, uh, uh, <laughs> well, there's a lot of instead, German influence in Mexican of, beers. Right, right. Instead of, of, you know, don't think of Corona as, as the Mexican beer. Yeah. But if you look at like Negro Modelo, that's like a Vienna lager mm-hmm. because there was actually a big German migration into Mexico. And that's where a lot of their brewing heritage has come from. So. Uh, you know, blending that. Now, I don't know if this is blended with the Vienna Lager type heritage or the lime, you know, lime in a glass type heritage. Okay, the, the, so I was just comparing the color. They looked a little bit different, but I have a green background and Jeff has a white background, so that's why the, yeah. the colors. We have a towel on the desk yeah. to keep all the clanking and noises down, and yeah, Greg's is green. I smell the lime. I smell the, the lactic sourness. It, it's it smells, it mm-hmm. I, it smells like a good goza. Actually, and I'm I'm my mouth is starting to water a bit. Yeah, I, yeah. There's uh, uh, so there's kind of a little like rustic wheat type character in there as well. The the lactic is probably a little less than average in many of the gozas we've had recently on the aroma. Right, you know, it's not quite too yogurty or anything. Yeah, like but that. It, you know, it's it's enough to. I mean, I'm literally salivating. It's enough mm-hmm. to to bring out to and, and for me to recognize the flavor enough that, uh, right, you know the 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 automatic parts of my brain are going, yeah, give me some of that. So, all right, onto the flavor it has a a pretty full 
body. It, it feels like the wheat is giving it a, a decent body. The sour, you know, on the Goza scale, where five is the center line. You know, I would say this one's about four and a half. You know, it's just a touch under the center line of Goza's, but I think it's... Really? Where would you put it? I might call it a six. I, a I six? might... So that's it's, within that's within my error bars. It's, yeah, it's op, It's obviously it's it's around a general equilibrium point, right? It, yeah, it's yeah. So, so, but I think I'm not saying it's like oh, I wish it was more sour. I think it fits the beer mm-hmm. that we're having. It's just the the lime is really coming through in the aftertaste. Uh, the 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 salt. I mean, sea salt, regular salt. I don't think it matters that much. It's not really adding. The sea salt generally gives us something of a minerally thing. I think the, mm-hmm. and the lime is taking over any of that minerally aspect that would come up, but. Yeah. Uh, the lime is definitely there, and so it's giving a little bit of a margarita esque kind of quality to it. It's affecting the sourness, so that the sour kind of bleeds into the lime flavor because you're so used to those together. Yeah. Um, but I, the I do... lime's restrained. You know, like I had a, mm-hmm. a lime sour, yeah. margarita sour earlier today, and it was just a, it was a hot mess of too much lime. Just it was trying to make. A cocktail beer that they you could tell they wanted to be widely appealable, yeah, and didn't trust in a more traditional uh, flavoring to be that widely appealable. I really I like, think this one has has trusted in the more traditional. I really like the mouthfeel on this. I think, like you said, it, it the uh, the wheat gives it a bit of, of an extra mm-hmm. uh, an extra bit of. Just extra bit of structure, so that it it yeah. it, it feels. Um, it dampens the sourness, yeah. the impression of the sourness. Some, it stretches out the tasting of this beer because it feels more formidable than mm-hmm. the four and a half percent. It is four and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is really well put together. I agree. This is this is a very good goza. This is. If you're a Goza fan, this is, I think... Um... Sometimes I get wary of lime Gozas because, like I said, the one I had earlier today, yeah. I've had too many that are too much like that. This one does not overdo the lime. This mm-hmm. one really nails... Right, and I think that, like, I believe that the lactic sourness is is managed with the lime enough that it just, it feels like they're ma- uh, it's a nice marriage as opposed mm-hmm. to feeling like they, either that they're combating each other or that one is sort of overpowering the other I'm with you before we wrap up I saw this Matt Brindleson from Firestone Walker tweeted something today and then uh, he it was a link that to fight flagship fatigue Sierra Nevada will introduce yes new versions of paleo and torpedo starting in the beginning of 2017 they're gonna they're called sidecars and they have sidecar orange pale ale a 5.3% pale ale brewed with oranges that the company hopes will generate interest from consumers craving more fruit-forward drinking experience. And the second is Tropical Torpedo, which also look to capitalize on the growing shift towards citrus and tropical IPA variants. Well, I mean, we can thank Ballast Point being bought for a billion dollars for, yes, for making this trend uh, absolute and kind of nailed down because... Um, I mean, they were real. I mean, they weren't the first to do it, but they were the ones who did it the most successfully and with the most visibility. And then they got purchased for a billion dollars. So you combine all those factors, and now everyone's saying, "Let's put throw fruit into our IPAs or our pale ales." Um, 
and for some of them, it's going to work. I mean, you look at um, uh, Pineapple Sculpt and it was, was decent, and of course the original was... Um, uh, not pie, grapefruit, grapefruit, grapefruit sculpt, which, which was you know, grapefruit's good, yeah, yeah really good. Uh, and of course, we, we love habanero in, in, as a fruit edition. Um, and then there's then there's watermelon dorado, <laughs> which was uh, an experience uh, of complete and total awfulness. Just and ask Greg McGill. He, just ask Greg. Yeah, he tasted it yesterday, <laughs> and uh, you know he told us he was he said he was warned and he said yeah he was warned but there is nothing quite like experience as I said to him so uh, it's it is uh, uniquely awful um, we wouldn't recommend it to anybody uh, and yet on the other hand there's a weird thing of like yeah you might want to try it just to see how how bad how wrong this this can go even for somebody who makes good beers like Ballast Point. Right, I mean, and my, there are going to be people who love them. My follow-up tweet was: In twenty years, our distant relatives will be uncovering beer books from twenty ten, and they won't believe that unfruited IPA was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be like unhopped IPA. It'll be, it'll be like some weird, like what are you talking about? No, hops are, are, are IPAs are all about fruit. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's I understand what they're doing. Look, I mean. They have to compete more. Sierra Nevada does. It, well, it's. Right. I mean, sure, pale ale is a good beer, but I'm not going to drink pale ale all that often. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and we, we've we've talked about how when and, you go and, to a bar, so sidecar is not the successful strategy for getting me to drink more Sierra Nevada. The successful strategy for me getting to drink more Sierra Nevada is the doing the other things that they've been doing, Keller Vice. Um, barrel-aged narwhal, you know. I mean, yeah. just a big variety of interesting things. I don't find orange pale ale an interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, but you're not their audience. Well, no, 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 I'm not complaining. I'm saying that this particular strategy... I mean, you're, not, you're their audience, but you're not their market. I put that way. Right. Yeah. This particular strategy will not be successful for me. Yes, but I also wanted to acknowledge that their previous strategy, which they're going to continue to do, has been strategy has been successful. But neither of those strategies are getting me to drink more pale ale. Sure, but I, I think that there is some. There's and I'm some... Not, and like I said, pale, like when I have a pale ale, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, but I'm not going to choose it very often. There's some merit to the idea of just putting out something for the market that you know is going to work on the market and and keeping doing what you have to, I mean cash grab IPA. Well, I, looking at it like like we we used a lot of Apple products. You and I both have Apple computers. I have we both have iPhones. I have an Apple Watch. I mean, look at Apple stuff. I've never bought an iPad. I don't think I ever will. I I it's just a market that I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. But they can keep improving the iPad and, and go crazy for it. I, I don't use it. Uh, I, I watch all my stuff on a computer now, so I don't have a TV. I, I think Apple TV is a good product for people who still use a TV. I don't, so I'm not going to have a use for it. it it's I, I understand the idea. Look, we're building things for various people. You're not going to necessarily like everything. Here is that product. Mm-hmm. That's probably what Ballast Point is doing with Watermelon Dorado. It's really not very good, but... There are people who enjoy it. We've had this conversation before where I worry about 
you know, chasing fickle markets to to grab cash, yeah, is not a solid foundation to run a long term business on. But I think the problem is that the fruited IPA market is not a very fickle market. Turns out a lot of them are pretty good. It's not that not necessarily that a lot of them are pretty good. It's that they sell well. Right. That's yeah. that's the question of a fickle market. Well, well, sure, but something that sells well and then that the critics think can be pretty good is kind of the golden ticket, right? But that's not a fickle market. That's a right. you're talking about a fickle market. I don't. Well, I don't I, think. I, that, I think that things like you know, brewing pineapple sculpin and watermelon dorado. Are, you're taking your your reference frame of what fickle sure, is. Sure. And applying that to the entire market, which is way bigger than than us or or our particular reference frame on the market, I am happy with it for a beer for a brewer to do that crazy stuff that we don't like, and yet still do good. Stuff. I mean, I mm-hmm. I love a brewer that can do that. Everything they make is fantastic, but I also understand that that's not realistic. Right. You know, you're you're right. You're right. I mean, it's not like they've gone and made only what they found to be the most profitable beer. Mm-hmm. They're making a lot of beers that... Yeah, no, it makes sense. I, I, It's not really the point that I, I had, but I appreciate you correcting me for uh, how it came out. Um, yeah, I don't... Maybe, maybe fickle wasn't the right term. Maybe, I mean, because... Grapefruit IPAs are generally pretty good. It's a great combination that it's, it's kind of surprising that it took them so long to find. <laughs> and now they're just trying everything. See what six throws stuff at the wall. Hey, yeah. I understand. It, it's it's what we admire some companies for doing, right? For for right. trying things. We tend to admire them more when it works and when it doesn't, but and we tend to admire the innovators instead of the also ran you know, the guys that Chase right. the chase the market, right? But if you see the trend, and Sierra Nevada clearly sees the trend, and they're big enough that they right. have to, and, and you can even micro innovate, right? You can come up with a, a, a fresh new orange pale ale, yeah, sure. Bring something that no one else has brought to it. So maybe after tasting these two beers. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to I mean, to I like that. I like Torpedo, right? Torpedo. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things where when I go to a bar, I'm looking for new stuff. But that doesn't mean I'm not looking that doesn't mean that I that I won't try a beer I've already had if I see like I might try a Sierra Nevada site. Like if I see a Sierra Nevada with blah, then I'm like, "Well, let me try that with the blah because I hadn't tried it with the blah." So let's see if right. that works. Whatever the blah in this case is. Watermelon could work. It's worked before. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it worked for you before. You liked the other watermelon beer. I didn't necessarily. Uh, like it I thought the twenty one A. I thought it was decent. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's one you're probably talking about. Yeah. Yeah. All right, ranking time. Okay, so uh, in last place, I'm going to put the Sam Adams Flounder Brewing Company. The it almost Devils. sounds like it's, flou- it's floundering. Yeah, Let me have Devil's <laughs> Devil's Nectar. <laughs> it it reminded me 
it's awful lot like whatever that cranberry winter seasonal Sam Adams does. The the cranberries came across exactly the same way. And I, I just don't care for how that comes across. The the honey lost all its personality and it was just like generic honey. You know, it was it was some kind of trademarked amazing New Jersey honey, but it I haven't had such a plain honey in a beer in a long time. Right. In fifth place, uh, while I liked it more than Greg did, it's still going to fall to fifth place for me, and that's going to be the barrel aged Nunkin. I, I liked how the barrels transformed that that pumpkin spice styled beer. I, I wish, as I went through my, you know, probably. Eight ounce sample, the barrel would have stayed as rich and vibrant as it was in the first couple of sips, but it seemed like the spicing kind of overpowered it and pushed it out of the room. Hmm. And that—that's kind of why. If 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 all the sips taste like the first couple of sips, I'm sure I would have elevated it some more. In fourth place, I'm going to do the the um, summit. 30th anniversary. Uh, we talked about how it's a, you know, they call it a West London style of bitter. It had this Maris Otter malt flavor. I, I like how I described how it had a very narrow spectrum. You know, there wasn't a big deviation of things that it gave. It gave a very specific list of attributes, and you could drink that and enjoy those attributes. Part of the format of the show is the more interesting the beer is to describe, the more better it is. And, <laughs> and for the summit, you know, I think it's a fine beer. But again, like trying to tell people when to try it. Like I said, if I was in Summit's tasting room, I'd probably like it better than if I was at a bar with mm-hmm. a bunch of other things. So that leaves three more. I'm going to do the Evil Twin, Imperial Biscotti Break in third place. Once I figured out that the thing t- had coffee in it and I had the right lens in place, I liked the beer a lot better. Um, I really like all the things that are brought together into it. I, I really wish the almonds would have come through in the flavor more. I smelled them, couldn't taste them. But the coffee... The the vanilla was pretty light, but still there. Um, and it was a good Imperial Stout. Second place, I'm going to do the Needy Brewing Breaking Bud. Um, good use of a majority of, of Simcoe. I think Simcoe is listed first, right? So it's probably the most hop in there. Good use of Simcoe, that tangerine, clementine, a little bit of a sweet marmalade type character. Uh, uh, super fresh. You know, we got a really good mm-hmm. bottle of Knee Deep. I'm looking forward to trying more Knee Deep. Now there was a weird thing with the, the nutmeg from the East End interfering with Yeah, at first it seemed yeah. like grew strained. And then after like third sip, it was like, yeah. what do you mean restrained? Yeah. You guys are idiots. Um, and then Just a lesson to everybody yeah, else. Don't, right. don't have your nutmeg yeah. right Yeah, don't have your nutmeg it. beer before your breaking bud. And then number one, I think El Goza. El Goza. Um, that was a really good Goza, I mean, just the balance, they nailed it. You know, enough lime to be there, but not too much, not overpowering. 
and I've had too many margarita uh, style mm-hmm. gozas, which are just crap in a glass. You know, it's like let's make a beer girls will like. You know, and they just put in tons of mar- tons of lime margarita flavor, and it's just not a balanced beer. But this one nailed it. Okay, so my uh, choice is very, very close to yours. Uh, they we're only swapping the last two. I'm gonna put East End in last place just because I'm, I'm not, I'm just not a fan of that spice style, uh, regardless of whether it's a Christmas beer or a pumpkin beer. Uh, to me, they're we're on the same continuum, so I, I I look at them roughly the same. And and even though yeah, it it has a different quality, uh, a, a different sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did I say? So sort of complexion than the, uh, but it took you to a different style that you almost also like, didn't, didn't like. also don't like that much. Um, there are ones that, that, that can break that through use of, through interesting use of ingredients. Madoff is an example of a, of a beer that I think is a Christmas beer that I do like. It breaks through the use of cherries and through trying different things with it and, and playing around. But I haven't had a Madoff in a while. So maybe, maybe I wouldn't like it as much. No, Madoff's good, but I mean, it's not, to me, it doesn't feel like when you say Christmas beer, you think more fruitcake type flavors, right? And Madoff really doesn't go that direction. It's not that darker. Well, that's what I'm saying coffee, is yeah. that I I dislike the general fruitcakeness right. of well, stuff. So Madoff is a holiday beer because the elf has a Santa hat on, uh-huh. but it, you know it's a cherry Belgian. So what's Christmassy about cherry Belgian other than the branding? Not nothing particularly, right? Uh, there's some spices in there, right? No. Oh. Belgian yeast? I don't know. It, it, it fits into the general holiday theme. It, it feels like well, it fits, but it doesn't... Well, that's it. You've been trained to think of Madoff as a holiday beer, but I think if you tasted it blind, I don't think you would necessarily say, you know, this is a Christmas beer. I mean, we'll try it. We'll try we're, it. We're talking about... It's funny because I talked about this in the pre-show. We're talking about a Hilbert space of various options, right? Like it's it's a there's a whole lot of different dimensions to consider here. And All right. Oh, okay. So I mean, maybe I'm not making the right point. My my point is simply, and maybe this here's where the disconnect is. When I think of Christmas flavored beers as opposed to Christmas marketed beers, they have more of those fruitcake things going on, right? And not. Not near, and not nearly all of them. Like you're, like at least you're implying. And uh, I, I mean, there are some. No, if I'm drinking a beer blind, I'm like, oh, this tastes like Christmas. It's going to be down the fruitcake lane. Well, did this tasted to me like a Christmas beer? Yeah. Did, did it taste like fruitcake to you? Well, it had a, those spices. Well, this one tasted like Christmas because of eggnog for me. But well, so so yeah. it's not all yeah. fruitcake. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I was trying to summarize it in. I, I oversummarized. I apologize. <laughs> Number five, I put the Sam Adams. It just a muddled kind of, kind of messy. It felt like, uh, like a first draft. Like I said, like it needed more work. Like okay, all right, that that's 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 try one or or let's try two. Let's let's keep trying to see if we can get this into more defined flavors, and. Instead, they just sort of went with, all right, here's the muddled thing. Oh, it, it felt like it was from a long time ago. It, it felt, did, it did, it yes. Felt in, yeah. It felt, of, felt state-of-the-art era 2000, 2005, something like that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, state. Of, I guess state. Of, yeah, state of the art. Yeah, it it, it felt. It's a three eighty six of a beer. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, state of the art is the yeah. right term, right? It felt yeah. state of the art for mm-hmm. craft brewing mm-hmm. in like two thousand two. Right, we're using these crazy ingredients, honey and cranberries. Whereas now we've seen ten years of ten years of ten of years of learning how to use honey and cranberries. Yeah. Uh, in number in fourth place, this is when I start to agree with you all the way. In fourth place, I'm going to put the summit. Uh, if you are into a uh, London style bitter. I think this is what most of them probably feel taste like without having been there. I think this is probably an agreeable, if not completely accurate, example of the style. If you're really into that, then this is probably going to be up your alley. If not, uh, then not so much. For me, not so much, but I can appreciate what it's trying to do. In I would just want to put a little note there I feel that it's a little more American hopped than, than a London style bitter yes. yeah, I mean I, 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 I'm sure there are London style bitters that had that kind of hopping okay. or, or have similar sort of hopping uh, I, I, I think you're, you're thinking of some sort of archetypal thing where I think that there's probably a whole bunch of, you know, bunch of nano breweries or whatever well, there. today right yeah uh, so yeah this, I, I wouldn't, this is not like a historical style or anything I guess just sort of like the, the yeah. So in uh, third place, I'm going to put the uh, the evil twin. Uh, it's I I get it, I get what it's doing. Um, and I, I poured more in my glass because when I was done with the goza, so I'm I'm okay with it. But it's got that biscotti thing going on where. <laughs> Do I really like it? I don't know. I it's like the Mendoza line. Biscotti's like right on the Mendoza line. Yeah, kind of. That's a that's a that's a decent analogy, I suppose. It's it is decent enough to be in to be enjoyable, but it's not big enough or doesn't have the right flavors to be like, yeah, yeah. Right. So right, yeah, it's about it's hitting a two hundred. You know, it's just barely enough to keep yeah. to keep in the majors. Um, in number two, uh, I'm gonna put the knee deep, the, the breaking bud. As soon as the nutmeg was washed off of our tongues, we could really taste uh, the stuff. And but but still, it was well balanced and it was it was well done for a, a phase two point five ish style IPA. And uh, in first place, who would have I wouldn't have guessed this, but that that Avery goes a a great example of. Really putting together your beer well, in contrast to say the Sam Adams, right? The 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 stuff in the Avery is stuff that's been used before in other beers. We've we've mm-hmm. had it, uh, but here is them taking this and refining it and getting it. I'm with, I'm with you. Well. I mean, they put together a great beer. You know, it that feels like a modern, expertly mm-hmm. crafted beer. I already said I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I already said what the founders yeah. felt or the flounder felt like. So that's uh, that's the show. All right, that's it. Excellente. Thanks everyone for listening to. I guess I got to play some music. You were the one you? who did the music. Yeah. So. so here we go. Let's <laughs> do a little bit of lithium. Craft Beer Radio is released under a Creative Commons license. You can visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. If you want to email us, you can hit us up. <laughs> we got dubstep this. <clears throat> craft, uh, email us beer at craftbeerradio.com. Twitter at Jeff Bear. At CBR Greg. At Craft Beer Radio for the dual account. 
And uh, it's just thanks for listening. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to our nonsense every week. No, don't play that. <laughs> don't play that. <laughs> I hope you're happy with yourself, Greg. I am. 